0: Today, we are going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, taxes. Yay! (laughs) One of the things that I've noticed uh, in the 15 plus years that I've been an advisor is that frequently the advice that someone gets from their CPA and the advice that our team is giving seem to be at odds with one another. And um, and I, I think it's important to understand why that happens. And for starters, I think one of the reasons that that happens is because of how our clients measure us, right? If you are looking at how you measure your CPA, you are looking at how much money your CPA saves you this year in taxes paid, And just for context, when we are looking at the tax implications of some of our recommendations, we are looking at taxes paid over a lifetime. So it's a very different scorecard, I think, that we are using to measure success.
1: Well, or maybe more precisely the taxes that you're gonna pay later is, is also a measurement that we're looking at.
0: Right, right. So I think it would be really helpful to start maybe with a tax history Um, And so for those of you who are able to watch this, uh, I will be sharing my screen so that you can see a little bit of tax history here, but we'll talk about it so that even if you aren't watching this podcast, you still have an idea of what's going on. So we're we're gonna start by talking about what has happened with taxes historically. So if you go back all the way to 1913, That is when taxes came into fruition in the United States. And the original tax rate was about 7% and only for people who made over a half a million dollars in 1913, which was a very small segment of the population. And if I remember correctly, I believe it was also done on the honor system.
1: (laughs) Right, please send us your money, please.
0: So when we start looking through some of the historics, everything kind of stayed at that 7% level for the first several years. And then you see a pretty major jump in 1917 where the tax rate spiked to 67%. But again, that was only for people who were making over $2 million in 1917. So still a very small segment of the population.
1: Right, well, and this the cool thing about this chart is this is the top bracket. So this doesn't include other brackets or you know l- lower payouts. It's just the top bracket,
0: right? And so if you think about why that would have happened back then, um, it's because that's right around the time World War One was starting. So you see the taxes right. peak out during World War One, and then they start dropping back off pretty radically over the period of the next five to ten years, and it right. drops back down to a level of twenty-five percent for anyone who's making over 100,000 in 1925. So even though
1: the tax rate- Yeah, it went down, but the, the amount of income you had to get or had to earn in order to be at that bracket dropped dramatically.
0: Right, so we call that widening the base. Right. That means that instead of just a few people paying taxes, we are widening the percentage of the population, not we, I'm be very clear, it's not us doing it, but uh, the percentage of the population that is paying taxes is widening. There are more people paying taxes at that point, even though it is at a lower bracket. And so you see that kind of continue on, continue on, and then you hit a time period where all of a sudden we're gonna start to see a jump. So if you look at um, 1960, I'm sorry, I'm saying 60s, 1932, um, it jumps all of a sudden to 63%. So the highest tax bracket the year before was 25% for anyone paying over 100,000, but the very next year they create much larger brackets for people who are substantially out-earning. So the highest rate jumps suddenly to 63% for anyone who is earning over a million dollars in 1932, which again, is a pretty small percentage of the population, but you can see how just you know from year to year, there's a, a pretty abrupt change that people may or may not have been expecting. Right,
1: and, that, and a lot of that I think is sort of great depression responsiveness, right? <laughs> we gotta go get more revenue, more services.
0: Right. So if you kind of keep tracking through that, everything kind of stays the same. And then over the next couple of years in 1936, now it's a 79% tax bracket for anyone making over $5 million. And that kind of stays the same for a little bit, but in 1940, it jumps to 81%. So it's not a huge jump, but it's a little wiggle right there again, for anyone making over 5 million And then if you look at what happens with the advent of World War II, all of the sudden the tax rate is 88% for anyone making over 200,000. So again, while that may not be a huge portion of the population, if the year before you think you're sitting pretty, because only people making 5 million are paying 81% in taxes, the very following year for anyone who's making 200 grand they're paying 88% of anything they earn over that dollar amount to the government in the form right. of taxes right and that well, number kind of continues to spike and grow during the war
1: yeah and the interesting part of that is you know if you look at 1941 versus 42 it goes from a 5 million dollars is what you've got to earn in order to be in that top bracket to 200k and the interesting part, and this is why, this is sort of, I think our running commentary with, "Hey, let's pay taxes now and see if we can save them for later," is nobody in that bracket got a vote. That they went from five million to two hundred k, and there's nobody in that two hundred k range that said, "You know, I think we should we should send more money to the war effort. Please take eighty three percent or eighty two percent of all my money." Right?
0: And you start. Right. There's, there's not a lot of control there. And I think that's, that's part of what we want to talk about through this podcast right. is that even as the war is wrapping up, you can see that the tax rate starts to kind of dribble back down. Um, but for anyone earning over 400,000, the number is still pretty high at, at its kind of trough here. Um, in 1949, it's 82% for anything over 400,000. Right. And that kind of holds steady for a while. So if you keep projecting it out through the fifties, for anybody earning over four hundred thousand, they were mm-hmm. paying upwards of ninety percent um, in taxes for a solid decade, um, right. more than a decade actually. And yeah. I, I think that's really interesting because you know if you if you can imagine today being in a situation where you're earning income and you're sending. of every dollar you earn to the U S you get to keep nine pennies and they get 91. I mean, I don't know about you, Eric, but if that's me, I'm hitting that point in the year going, yeah, this doesn't really seem worth it. I'm just going to go hang out in Mexico and I'll come back January one and start over. I'll just take a vacay.
1: Right. Well, you're, you're radically changing how you do your business. You're, you're thinking very differently about Growth about expansion about man I I wish I could go grow this or so I could go hire more people, but it doesn't make any sense for me to do that,
0: right? No, it really doesn't because what is that revenue actually doing for you? Not much. It's doing something for someone. It's just not you. Um, so if we kind of hop on down by nineteen fifty four. Yeah. You yeah. start to see some dips in here. So 1964, it drops a little bit. And then in 1965, it drops down from 91% to 70% for anyone who's earning over 200,000. And then that continues for whoo, like another yeah, decade, so Reagan.
1: decade yeah, from, and a half. From Kennedy right. to Reagan, it stayed at that 70% mark pretty much.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I think is interesting is uh, during the time period where the tax rate was over 90%, uh, Ronald Reagan was acting and he right. made a movie called Bedtime for Bonzo. I think, is that, is that the name of the movie? Am I that getting that right? right yeah. um, which I don't think is particularly culturally significant, except that it was the, the highest grossing, or, or the, as an actor, Ronald Reagan was the highest grossing actor for a single film. And it was, I think the first time that someone was ever paid over a million dollars for a single movie. And because he had earned a little bit ahead of that, wasn't his only paycheck for the year, by the time he received that check, um, he was in that 90% plus bracket and ended up with a very small amount staying in his pocket, like just over 100,000, if I remember correctly. And um, and you can see that influencing his politics later down the road. Um, And regardless of how you feel about them, you can see cause and effect right? You can see, I just earned a bunch of money and had to give all of it away. Uh, you know, not voluntarily either. Um, and then you see what happens when he gets into office, all of the sudden we see a huge difference in the tax rate. And so you can see by 1982, um, the tax rate is dropping to 50% before he's in office, but you can see it dropping to 50%. Um, and that, that becomes 50% for anyone earning over 85,000. And then you see in 88, the tax rate drops to 28%. Yeah. But now that 28% is for anyone over 29,000 of income. So you see again, now all of a sudden the tax rates are substantially lower. And I was having a conversation with somebody about this just a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about the fact that Reagan's tax bill was revenue neutral. And the reason that it was able to be revenue neutral, even though you see a huge decrease in the overall tax rate, is that they broadened the base. So more people began paying taxes, but at a much, much lower rate across the board. Yeah. And then that's really kind of continued. We've had some ups and downs where we saw the tax rate in the 90s increase back up to 396 we saw that drop just a little bit to 35%. Then it went back up to 39.6. Then it dropped down to 37, and now there's discussion of taking it right back up to 39.6, right. right? And so there's there's a lot of movement here, and I I think that for me, I think the first time that I saw this particular tax chart or something like it was probably in the early 2000s, um, and I remember talking about it with my husband. Um, And talking about the importance of focusing on taxes. And I remember him saying initially, this is a scare tactic. You know, you have to factor in inflation and all these other things. And I was like, but what am I trying to scare people into? (laughs) Or what is this chart trying to say? I mean, it's, let's just look at what's actually happening so that we can make some decisions. Um, about where to go from here. And I'm sure if he was on the podcast with us, he would defend that statement because I don't remember why he brought it up. I just remember him talking about scare tactics. tactics. But, um, but I think this is key because a lot of times when we're talking to our clients, we ask them, you know, were you aware that the tax rate has ever been above 90%? And frequently the answer is no. And I will go so far as to say, sometimes I ask CPAs what the highest marginal bracket has ever been and they can't answer that question. And you know, we talk about this a lot, but I think when you have context, when you know what the facts are, you will know what to do. But if you don't have the facts, you might make very, very different decisions.
1: Right, well, and that's that idea of where is it versus where was it? Mm-hmm. And if I had to make some guesses, some educated, educated guesses, what would it be in the future? Mm-hmm. Uh, And I think that's a lot of that conversation today. And it goes back to that idea of the debt, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, yeah, but if you look at the average, the average is almost 60 percent, 57.3.
0: Right. In our history, the average of the highest marginal bracket is 57 percent. And you look at where we are today and it's below 40. Right. So if I were... um, looking at a concept, you know, we talk about this sometimes in our office, this may be getting too technical for a podcast. I don't know for this podcast, Um, (laughs) but we talk about the idea of regression to the mean,
1: which means
0: that if you take data over a long period of time, you can kind of figure out what the average looks like and you're going to have years, which are low or high kind of outlying situations. But over time, the regression is always towards the middle. And so, if we know the middle is fifty-seven percent, and we are sitting in a situation where we are at thirty-nine percent, you know, we're almost what is that twenty points? Not quite, but we're almost twenty points below what the average has been. And knowing that the upside, I think the highest marginal bracket was what ninety-four percent. Right. Um, so knowing that's the upside, I-, I would make different decisions in different environments. So if we were in a situation where the highest marginal bracket was above 60% and you were in that, I might say defer the taxes in the hope that we'll drop back below the line. But I have a hard time with the idea that deferring taxes is a good idea right now. Now, if I can offset the taxes or I can create true tax deductions or tax credits, I think that becomes very interesting. But a deferral of taxes is a very different thing. And so I right. think it's important to make sure that we use the right language because frequently I hear CPAs say I saved my client X number of dollars in taxes this year and when I ask them how they did it it's putting money into an IRA or a SEP IRA or right. you know Total something line. that's deductible and I think it's important to say you you didn't save any money in taxes you just deferred when you were going to pay them in those situations.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's that's the other component of that that I always found sort of interesting on that conversation is if I if I look at where I am today, so I'm mid 40s, as my wife reminded me yesterday, and mid squarely in the mid 40s, and I've got two kids, a nine and a five year old. I've got a house. I I'm working, you know, I've I've got expenses that that I get to write off each and every year, uh, for technology and all, all the things that we use to run the business, and so if I think about Do I wanna pay the tax now or do I wanna pay it later? I wanna pay it right now. So if I think about a 401k deduction, and here's why, I'm gonna go write a $10,000 tax bill this year, I'm making up a number. Mm -hmm. Well, if that was my gross tax bill, I have child tax credits I get to write off, I've got mortgage interest I might be able to write off, I've got business expenses, all of these things that can make that, that 10k lower. But if I fast forward that bill, if I put it into the 401k, save some of the taxes today, but defer it and pay it later, uh, I'm 65 now, I'm 70 now. I've got, the kids are all out of the house. My gosh, I hope so. Uh, The house is paid off, so I don't have any interest I can write off. I'm not running a business anymore. I've retired, I'm doing other things. So as as a percentage of my income, I'm gonna pay a lot higher version of that number I have no write-offs i've got no natural write-offs on that number unless i'm doing things like charity but i've got no sort of baseline write-offs that i get to go push against that so even if the tax brackets are the same even if we're at 37 percent today and it's going to be 37 all the way through uh i got all the write-offs right now why why defer it later when i have no no write-offs
0: and i think it's important too to understand if you are deferring when you pay the taxes when you have taxable income and you are retired That affects your Medicare premiums, it increases them, Um, and it also affects whether or not your Social Security comes to you tax-free or is taxable. So, you know, it's important to think through the long-term implications of deferring all the taxes to a later date beyond just the tax rate, right? I mean, there's the the write-offs, the expenses, all the things you just talked about, but there's also some of the material concerns of making your Social Security taxable and increasing your Medicare premiums. And they they can get quite expensive. So, you know, I think all of those things really matter as we're thinking through these conversations. And, you know, some of the things that people look at doing may or may not be around in the next couple of years. So um, as of today's date, which is October 25th, 2021, um, you still have the ability to do what's called a backdoor Roth, where you can convert Um, your IRA dollars from a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. And when you do that, you have to pay the taxes. But if you do it correctly, there are no penalties during that conversion. And then you have all of those dollars set aside that can grow tax-free for the rest of your lifetime. But based on most of the talk and the bill that's currently being discussed, um, there's a pretty high likelihood that come 2022 that ability to do that will look very different if it exists at all so there's a, a short right. window right. potentially where that could be very beneficial if changing from a tax deferral to tax-free growth is something that's interesting
1: which well and i think,
0: think it is. yeah
1: and i think context is important too right if if you really understand what's going on i we used to work with a uh with some federal employees and i remember talking with one of them and they they were right on the cusp of the the federal system was changing between an old pension system to the new pension system. And they were caught in the middle of that transition. And so they got a choice. They said, hey, look, you can be on the old system, the one you're on now, or you can move forward. And I remember talking with the gentleman and he said, man, I spent hours and hours and hours trying to figure out which was the better pension, what, what was gonna give him the best payout in the end. And then he finally got four hours, 10 hours into doing his math, he stopped and he says, wait a minute, this is stupid. Why would they change the system if it wasn't in their best interest, nope, I'm going to stay on the old system. And so mm-hmm. I think about four hundred and one k's, and I look at things like RMDs, required minimum distributions. But as you get older, the government wants their money, they want their money today, and they want their money tomorrow. But if the government is smart and and they're they're going concern, right? They're smart. They're smart cookies. They want their money at, at interest, just like you want your money at interest. So if I can defer my taxes and put money into four hundred and one k now, I'm, I'm I'm paying on the seed, right? And then that, that harvest gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The 401k gets bigger and bigger. And then when it comes out, I'm being taxed on the harvest. Right. Like I'm being taxed on the massive end on the other end of it. So the government is giving you a break today, but there's, there's something in it for them or they wouldn't do it.
0: Right. Well, and I think to context, I mean, context is always important. And if you are close to retirement and right. you don't have enough funds saved up to replace hundred percent of your lifestyle, there's probably a pretty good chance that you will be in a lower tax bracket. Absolutely. And so That's a deferral a could make sense in that situation. But if you are young and you have aggressive growth plans and you are, you are building with the specific purpose of at the very least replacing your lifestyle, if not growing more then a deferral may or may not makes sense at that point, right? And I think that's where it's really important to talk to your own advisor about your situation and to have the conversations about which bracket you fall into, where the risk is over time, and then make your investment decisions accordingly, right? I mean, that that I think is the key here, but I do think it is very, very important to go back to the idea of when someone says, oh, you're gonna save X in taxes, you need to be asking the question, am I really saving it or am I just deferring it?
1: Well, and look at from the who you're getting from whom you're getting the advice, what are they being measured on? Are right. they being measured on how much they're saving you today versus how much you're going to have later on? And, and that you may get two different answers. And then the other part for context, and we talked about this. If you ever want to sort of get depressed on a Monday morning, there's <laughs> a there's a little website called the US debt clock. Dot org And I think you had a different one pulled up, but uh, if you just want to look at what, yeah, that's the one I was looking at. So the national debt right now as a top left hand, if you're looking at it on the screen here, is what, $28.9 trillion, sort of the, the running national debt on this side of it. And I looked up the sort of year by year deficits, which I, which I find equally depressing. Um, 2001 was the last time we had an actual surplus, meaning we brought more money into the government Uh, in taxes and revenue than we paid out. Uh, And ever since then, it's been uh, sort of an annual deficit. Every year we're adding to it. And so the funny part of it is, is if I remember the math, I'm going to pull it up here because I don't want to lie to you. Uh, That was the last time we had a surplus. Uh, In 2001, we had a little bit of a a deficit because we were fighting through that recession. Uh, 2008, 2009, as we're trying to pump money into the market, the, the deficit that year ran about 1.4 trillion. So we're, we're racking up extra bills, right? We're, we're, we're spending money on the credit card. And, uh, the really, really sobering part of that is if you look at what happened last year, uh, the deficit for 2020 we had COVID and everything else was about 3 trillion, 3.2 trillion. Mm-hmm. So it is, um, it is no small number, right? And so if I'm if I'm reading the tea leaves there was 3.13 million trillion last year and so far this year we're we're running a deficit of about 2.7 trillion so I don't know what the future is going to look like,
0: but as that gets bigger <laughs> the government's cash flow requirement gets higher. Right.
1: So, um, just well,
0: and and what's happening now is when we see some of these uh, tax proposals, the the inc- the proposals for increased tax rates, we're not shrinking the base. So these are not revenue neutral tax proposals, right? I mean, this is about right. creating extra revenue, right? And I'm gonna I I, I want to stay away from the politics of all of this because well,
1: absolutely.
0: you know it. it regardless of how you feel about it, I think addressing the facts of what's happening um, is what allows you to navigate the situation, right? And so um, the whole point of today's conversation is really just to make sure you have the context of tax history and an idea of where potentially we could be headed so that you can make better decisions about your money Because the whole point of working as hard as we all do for our money is so that we can actually build a life and a lifestyle for our families and to make an impact on the community around us. And the way you can do that is by being able to direct where you are spending your capital. You want to add anything to that? Yeah, and I'll
1: close. I'll close out with this. One of the funniest, or one of the uh, common refrains I hear is, "Well, I'm going to be earning less in retirement than I am now." And my response not. is, you've got a crappy advisor. So <laughs> I
0: 100% agree. Yeah, so like, you should be earning every more. Every time somebody says that to me, I feel like I must have this blank stare. And then I just want to say, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right,
1: right. Or, or just to pause and go, but is that okay? <laughs>
0: right. Why are you settling for that? Absolutely. Well, this has been fun, Eric. I appreciate the conversation and thank you guys for listening. You can find me at the wealth woman, either on Facebook or Instagram, and you can find me as Mary Kane Lyons on uh, LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of the grams as well. So on Facebook and Instagram, it's, uh, economics with Eric. And then on, uh, LinkedIn, it's just my name. So Eric, you can tell we're
0: recording this on a Monday morning.
1: (laughs) We're all tired. (laughs) See you
0: guys. (laughs) Have a great one.